You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Good morning. How are y'all? Everybody is good? Are y'all excited for the entire day? All right, so let's go ahead and get it out of the way. I know it's not as important as what's about to happen or what has happened, but... <laughs> How many uh, agree with Kyle? All right, what about the other side? Well, we'll see what happens. I just, I just can't make myself cheer for the Eagles. I just can't do it. So anyway, what would Jesus do? I'm not sure. Probably not care. Make it end in a tie or something. Anyways, um, no, I'm super honored to be here. Uh, my name's Cody Sykes. I'm the campus pastor here at Renew Life Church Midland. And super honored that you would join us this morning. Uh, I believe that today is gonna be a great day as it already has been. If you're a first-time guest, we wanna tell you welcome. Thanks so much for joining us, church family. Would you welcome first-time guests that are in the room? Thank you so much for joining us. Super pumped for um, what the Lord has in store. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and then I'm gonna dive into what I wanna share. Uh, Father, I thank you for everything that you've done. I thank you for uh, the things that took place during worship, and, and we're so thankful for a, a team of people who would lead us uh, with humility and passion uh, into the presence of the Lord, into your presence. And I pray that just as, as your atmosphere, as this atmosphere is, is, is stirring in, uh, as you're stirring in this atmosphere, God, that you would actually... Uh, settle upon us in ways that you would open our ears to hear you in a new way, that you would give us eyes to see, uh, that you would give us an ability to discern uh, certain things that you would have us discern, that you would fall individually on us, Lord. I think that you're a, a big God, but you're a personal God. And I just pray that you would speak to individual people that need to get the right thing uh, uh, from this message, from your word. Uh, it might be one phrase, it might be a, a whole set of scriptures, but Lord, I'm just asking that, that there would be something that takes place today in our hearts that would link us to you forever. And I pray that you would uh, anoint my words in my mouth and uh, we just choose to give you glory and honor in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, Last time I was with you and when I spoke, uh, I started a series called Old School Jesus. Uh, how many of you here were, were here for Old School Jesus? All right, cool. Well, I'll give you a recap just for those that weren't. Uh, we, we started unpacking this truth that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Uh, most of the time we, we spend a, a solid portion of our time in the New Testament because it is for sure and we can read that it is about Jesus. But also we have to understand that uh, the Old Testament is also about Jesus. It is all uh, prophetic foreshadowing of who was to come. It was laying the foundation uh, <clears throat> through all of scripture uh, that was pointing us to the one and only son of God that was actually going to come and shift everything and restore us back to relationship with the father uh, from the moment that Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden. Uh, God literally put this plan in place to actually bring us back to the place where we're walking together and having communion with him. And aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? Amen. The entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, maps, and concordance, all about Jesus. 
Amen. How many have a Bible that has a map in it? Yeah, a few of us. That's about Jesus. And so uh, we, we took a look in the Old Testament. Uh, we took a look into the miracles of Elisha. And we learned that uh, Elijah, which is kind of a little bit confusing, Elijah was a prophet. And on his way out, he was to anoint Elisha. And when he anointed Elisha, he found Elisha plowing a field, and we learned that it was with a 12th team of oxen. There was some, some connections between all of this, and we learned that the number 12 represents perfect government. And then we talked about how uh, it, was, it was prophesied that the government of the world would be on the shoulders of Jesus. And we learned that, that in this word, or in this number 12, being perfect government, we even looked into uh, the book of Acts in, the, in, the, new, in the, uh, the, the early church. When their first order of business, right after Jesus is crucified and after Jesus has been resurrected, their first order of business as the early church was to restore or to... Uh, to come back to the number of 12 disciples because Judas had betrayed Jesus and then he had died, so there was 11, and they knew that in order for the next things to happen, we had to reestablish perfect government in the church. So they went back to 12 disciples, and as soon as they went back to 12 disciples, we see the Holy Spirit come in the upper room in a rushing mighty wind. We see tongues of fire get put on people, and we see uh, Peter, even Peter, the one that who denied Jesus, we see him preach the first message under the power of the Holy Spirit after perfect government was restored and 3,000 people were added to the church. Super cool, just lots of different little things that we talked about in uh, as it pertains to Elisha's ministry and the ministry that was coming in Jesus. Um, Elisha, he received this double portion anointing from Elijah. There's this moment when Elijah is caught up in this whirlwind and he's taking up, taken up into heaven. And it says that because Elisha witnessed this, he received a double portion. We read about how in this moment, Elisha takes the, the cloak of Elijah and he takes it and he slams it on the water and the waters divide and he walks across. Super interesting, all of these different things, this was the first miracle that Elisha had performed and it looked just like the one that Moses had performed 600 years prior. And we talked about how in the, the law that came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. And all of this was pointing to this fact that there's nothing, um, there's nothing good under the law that isn't better under the covenant of grace. There's nothing that Moses did under the law that was better than what Elisha did as a foreshadowing of the covenant of grace that was to come through Jesus. Super fun, and uh, I, I could geek out on stuff like this. Uh, I like this kind of stuff. So um, this week we're gonna continue to dive into um, these things, and, and under the law, we have to remember that under the law, when you obeyed, you were blessed. But under grace, you're blessed because Jesus obeyed on your behalf. And your belief in the finished work of Jesus on the cross is the thing that brings you into the place of being able to receive blessing. So under the law, you did and you received blessing. Under grace, you believe and you receive blessing. Yes. Amen? The priest, under the law, they're the ones that could actually go and they could interact with the Father. They were the ones that could actually go and interact with, with God. 
that was under the law, but under grace because of all that Jesus did for us and put us in this new relationship, restored us back to relationship with the Father, we have bold access to come to the throne room of God because of one man, Jesus' uh, ability to follow the will of the Father to the point of death. I love it. Under the law, if you messed up, you can make a sacrifice to cover your mistake. Animal sacrifice, obviously. Uh, Under grace, if you mess up, you can rest in knowing that your mistake was wiped away by one man's sacrifice on the cross. These are just some, some contrasting things concerning the law and concerning grace. I would say, after hearing some of these things, that the, the, the covenant of grace is so much better than the covenant that they were under in the law. Would you agree? Um, the last thing that we looked at in week one was the story of Mary and Martha. And we talked about how Jesus comes into their home and, and Martha is this one who is worked up and she's distracted by many things to do. She's making preparations, she's, she's cleaning the house or she's cooking or she's doing something, she's busy doing something in order to feel like she could then rest under or at the feet of Jesus who is in the house. And she even goes to Jesus and she's like, hey listen, don't you see all these things that I'm doing and then there's my sister doing nothing. Y'all got some kids like this. Well you tell her to do something. I've picked up the dog poop every day this week. I've taken out the trash. Can you just at least tell her to do it one time? This sounds like my house. Um, Bryden, my son, he popped off one day. He's like, Presley, you don't even do that much. Presley's my 14-year-old. You don't even do that much. I could do your stuff. And I was like, perfect, you're doing it from now on. He was like, wait, hold on a second. (laughs) Now I'm hearing these stories. I do all of these things. But what Martha was saying was this. Jesus, you should be impressed and I should be blessed because all that I'm doing. We, we highlight our list of things, our accomplishments, our doing, our busyness. We talked about the person that's got the, the 26 Christian fish uh, p- stickers on the back of their car and that's gotta represent some sort of status in heaven. Uh, we, we, we joke about those things but inside we actually think because I just did X, Y, or Z, I should have a different level of favor than someone who is just doing nothing and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Works is law, rest is grace. Amen? So let's take a look at Second um, Kings chapter, chapter two. That's in the Old Testament. It's right after the first Kings because it's second. <clears throat> yep. There's a whole lot in here. I'm telling you, I am a deep well today. <laughs> Crushing the game. Anyways, Second Kings chapter two. I'm gonna read on New King James Version. It's gonna be on the screen behind me. It says, um, then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice, The situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water, cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water 
From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. This is the second miracle that Elisha did. We talked about the first one. We split the waters. This is the second one that he did. I want to point some things out in this. And I want to spend some time talking about why salt was used to purify water that was considered bad. Because that doesn't make sense. If it was bad, like add sugar to it. Add sugar to anything, it's better. You know what I mean? Like Frosted Flakes, add sugar to them. Come on, somebody. Don't, not salt. Bless you. But this joker put salt in bad water, and I want to know why, and so we're going to talk about this for a little bit. It would seem that adding salt to bad water would only make this water worse. Now, when you look into the scripture a little further, you realize and you see that this miracle is not about water. It's not about a bowl full of salt. It's actually, when you look deeper, it's about the heart, it's about Jesus, and it's about God's grace. We're gonna read this a little bit, and this is gonna stay up on the screen. So they say, please notice the situation of the city. It's pleasant, but the water is bad. So he says, bring me the new bowl, put salt in it. I think it's interesting, verse 19. He says, the city is good, but the water is bad. Meaning, at first glance, everything on the surface is fantastic. I want you to think about this in the perspective of people. Being that this was the city of Jericho, this represents a group of people. This, rep this could represent a group of people, it could represent a single person. I want you to think about the appearance of a person. You can look at a person and a person might look like they have it all together. They've got the nice clothes on, they got the starched jeans, they look the part, they, they sound the part, but he's saying that the water is bad, meaning at the foundation of the city, the thing under the surface, it is actually bad. And because it is bad, it is, it is making the things around us, our city that looks good, it's making it unproductive. It's making it unfruitful. It's actually creating barrenness. He's talking about the heart in this moment. First Samuel chapter 16, verse seven says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man sees the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Proverbs 4.23, this is a famous scripture most of us know. It says, it talks about and tells us to guard our heart with all diligence for out of our heart flows the issues of life. Uh, if you read 2 Kings 2, the scriptures that we just read, and you read it in the King James Version, it says that the water is not, N-A-U-G-H-T. This would be the word that we get, the American word naughty, this word not means evil. Have you ever encountered water that was evil? Have you ever encountered water that was naughty? Besides Midland water, <laughs> have you ever en encountered evil water? No, you never encountered evil water because water can't be evil and it can't be naughty, but a heart can be. Yeah. So he's literally talking about 
a heart, he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about grace. In verse 20, he's, Elisha says, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. In other words, bring me a bowl that has never been used. Bring me a bowl that is clean, that is fresh from the potter's hand. Bring me one that is not contaminated, one that has never been touched, one that can be trusted, and one that is completely pure. And while you're at it, add salt to it. Put salt in this, con- this container, this bowl, this vessel that has never been contaminated, that is perfectly pure, that is all clean. Put salt in it. Salt was actually this, this, this agent that had, had the ability to purify and it had this ability to preserve. You see where I'm going yet? He's saying, I need Jesus to actually come forth from me as this perfect, spotless, clean vessel who lived on the earth, who was tempted with all the things that we were tempted with, but never sinned, who was spotless in every way, who, who literally faced things that we've all faced, yet he didn't give in to temptation. I need you to bring me Jesus, and I need you to bring him and fill him up with my character, with my heart, with my, my humanity, with my love, with my grace, with my mercy, and so that I can actually pour him out on the hearts of people. And then the word says that it was it is healed to this day according to the words of Elisha. This is such an incredible picture of what Jesus actually did for us. He says, a man who knew no sin, a man who would live this uncontaminated life, I'll put my love in those, I'll put my love in him for those that may never accept me. I'll put my love in him for those whose hearts have turned far from me. When I was thinking about this message, I was reminded, and I know this has been mentioned a, a few times in the last couple of weeks, as we've kind of been focusing really heavily on uh, some of our foundational teachings Renew Life Church was born out of, and um, grace, the message of grace was such a, a monumental piece, and it was actually the piece, it was the message that our senior pastor uh, felt like the Lord said to, to build this church on. And so, uh, but one of the things that we've been revisiting is, is Revelation chapter two, and he's, in this, in this, he's addressing the, uh, the church at Ephesus, and he's talking about all the fantastic things that they've done, and they're crushing it in all these areas, and everything's fantastic. They look really, really good on the surface. And he says, nevertheless, I have this one thing against you. He said, you've left your first love. This is talking about a heart condition, again. He says, you left your first love. Talking about the love that they had for him, who is and was and still always has to be our why, it has to be Jesus, said you've left your first love, remember from where you have fallen, repent, and then do the first works, lest I come and remove your lamp from its lampstand, or I remove your influence, which I don't want to have happened. But if you take Revelations 2 and then you pair that with Jeremiah chapter 2 in the Old Testament, It's talking about how the Lord, he's saying, I I remember you in your youth. He says, I remember the love that you had for me when you were going after me in the wilderness. I remember the way that you were pursuing me when you were solely dependent upon me for every single thing for your entire life. I remember the love that you had for me like newlyweds have for one another. And then he says this, what offense have your fathers found in me that they would move their hearts far from me? 
And so all of this is leading up to this moment where this one vessel in Jesus would come so full of the love of God that he would dump himself out so that he would restore hearts that had been moved far from him so that they would actually have life and life everlasting. Such a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Verse 22, he says, just as the waters remain healed to this day, that's what he said, that the waters remain healed to this day. I believe that if we choose to continue to abide in him, we actually will live until the end of time. And when I say live, I'm saying not live physically, but live in communion, in direct relationship with the Father. Psalm 91, verse 14 through 16. Y'all with me? Not tagging along? It says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I love the picture of Jesus that's found in 2 Kings chapter two and the grace of God that was brought forth by Jesus, it's amazing. Love Jesus. Now what's funny about all of this, this is something that we could probably really relate to because we do things that don't make very much sense sometimes. If you look at this from a natural perspective, more than likely the issue with the water and the reason that was bad and the reason that it couldn't be utilized to, to water the earth, to water the ground, to water the crops, is because it was salty. And it makes perfect sense to, put, sense to put salt back in salty water. You know what I mean? Like my, my granddad used to say, if a little does a little good, a whole lot will do a whole lot of good. <laughs> he applied that to most everything. Coffee, mostly coffee. Um, he made some fun statements like, uh, it's uh, never to, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> not gonna say that one. But it doesn't make sense to put salt in salty water. It, 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 it's already salty. The thing is, is that grace is the answer even when it seems like it shouldn't be the answer. Salt was poured out into salty water even when salt didn't seem like it should be the natural answer. And grace was poured out on the earth when actually punishment seemed to be more fitting for our actions because of sin. To put it plainly, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is you getting salvation when you actually deserved eternal damnation. Grace is you getting life when you actually really, really deserve death and forever separation from the Father or anything that is good. That is, that is what sin leads to. The wages of sin is death, right? And so grace is when you get the thing that you don't deserve. Elisha did something in this moment that didn't make any sense. So the people around, I would imagine that he probably looked like an absolute moron. Like, hey bud, don't you realize that, he's like, yeah, I know, just give me a second. Jesus did some things that didn't make any sense. And Jesus' life and the way that his life ended, 
hidden in such a way that it doesn't make sense. It's illogical to us that, that one man, Jesus, would live his whole life for a bunch of people who chose to live in sin, yet he would not know sin and he would lay his life down so that they might have access to the Father forever. That doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make even more sense is that, that the Father, that God would actually have one son through a virgin and the whole plan for this one son was to prop him up and to love him like a father's never loved another son. Doesn't make sense. To then say, I'm going to put you in a place and I'm gonna make you stand and I'm gonna make you be beaten. I'm gonna put you through things that no one else after you will ever have to go through because I love them that much too. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. For those of us that have to make sense of everything before we actually receive anything, the message of grace and the covenant of grace is gonna be really challenging for us to actually walk in. Because until we give up our need to understand we'll stay in this vicious cycle of thinking that salvation and blessing, they come through my accomplishments. That is the law. What becomes even more troubling is when you feel unaccomplished or when you feel like you didn't perform well, you'll fall into this place of condemnation where condemnation will begin to tell you because you didn't perform well and because you didn't do the thing that you were supposed to do or you didn't accomplish well, you are something wrong. That's what condemnation will wanna tell you. You are wrong. While the Holy Spirit brings conviction to the table and he says, I'm not here to tell you that you are something wrong, I'm just telling you that you did something wrong. You, you are good. The thing that you did, it is bad. I died for you, let's take care of this thing, let's not do this anymore. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? Says they bring her in front of Jesus. Jesus, we caught this woman in the very act. The law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? I love Jesus in this moment. He stoops down in the dirt and like begins to doodle on the ground with his finger. I don't know what he was doodling, there's a lot of assumptions, but who knows what. But he basically is ignoring them. They keep standing there, he's like, all right, perfect. You who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. They're like, crap, convicted by their conscience. It says that they begin to leave oldest to the youngest. Then all that's left is just the woman and Jesus standing in the midst. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Talking about her. Go and sin, don't do the thing that you were doing any longer. Condemnation will want to tell you that you are wrong. Conviction says that thing that you did was wrong. But when I live my life from this place of my accomplishments and my performance bring me blessing, when I fail, I will fall into a place of thinking that I am actually something wrong. But when I lean into this thing that says, because of all that Jesus did for me on the cross and my belief and my trust in that, when I miss it, I am still right. The thing that I did was just wrong. This is the beauty of the covenant that we have with God, the covenant of grace. I know that 
there seems to be some tension with this covenant of grace because oftentimes it, it's, it's, it's portrayed like a, a pastor of mine that I had a long time ago. He used to call it greasy grace. The message of grace was greasy grace. and I don't think there's a Z in the American uh, word for greasy, but he had it in there. Greasy grace to him was a license to sin. I could live how I wanted to Monday through Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday I could come and step into the grace of God. And I could live this over and over and over and over and over, and he called that greasy grace. And basically what he was saying was that if we teach grace like this, we're giving people a license to sin. Because after all, they can just come right back into relationship with the Lord. I believe that grace, and when you have a proper perspective of grace, it empowers you to live a life that is completely different than you've ever lived before. Grace is this thing that is freely available to you. It is a free gift. But I want to tell you this. Please, don't treat what Jesus did on the cross. Don't treat the blood of Jesus. Don't treat the body of Jesus. Don't treat the resurrection of Jesus as something that was common. Yes, you are once you're a born-again believer and your heart shifts towards Jesus, you are good. God is good with you. Amen? You might do some things every now and then he is not good with. You've got to sure those things up. But he is good with you. But that is not for us to actually ever believe or ever treat what Jesus did continually as something that was just common. Because what he did was special. What he did will be forever talked about. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, it says this. It says, for if we go on willfully and deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of the message of grace, the, the, the covenant of grace, there no longer remains a sacrifice to atone for our sins that is no further offering to anticipate but a kind of awful and terrifying expectation of divine judgment and the fury of a fire and a burning wrath which will consume the adversaries, those who put themselves in opposition to God. Anyone who has ignored and set aside the law of Moses is put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, how much greater punishment do you think he will deserve who has rejected and trampled underfoot the Son of God and considered unclean and common the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and has insulted the spirit of grace who imparts the unmerited favor and blessing of God. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, retribution and deliverance of justice rest with me. I will repay the wrongdoer and again the Lord will judge his people it is a fearful and terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, incurring his judgment and wrath. We have to remember that sin still offends a holy God. Meaning, the way that I live actually does matter. I am a born-again child of God. I am, I am wrapped up in the grace of God. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places, right? I am, I am good. But I still have to make sure that the way that I'm living does not call or make the blood of Jesus a common thing. 
because sin still offends a holy God. I should be changing on a regular basis my thoughts. My soul is the thing that needs saving, right? That is my mind, my will, my emotions. That means that I have to change the way that I'm thinking. That means that I have, that my thinking has to change the way that I'm feeling and that my feeling actually doesn't come out in a wrong way in my doing. I still have to pay attention to the way that I live even though I am under the covenant of grace and God is good with me. Grace should empower me to live completely different. I know for me one thing that grace does and the understanding of the grace of God is that it causes me to fall more in love with God. It empowers me to fall further in love with Jesus. I don't know your story, but oftentimes I have flashbacks of mine. I not know and I remember what it was like without Jesus. I remember the hopelessness that I endured often. I remember laying in bed one night thinking that my heart was going to explode because of the amount of pills that I took. But I know what it feels like right now and knowing that there's nothing that could separate me from the love of God. We have to come into this place where we don't make the thing that Jesus had common and we're constantly reflecting and remembering that God has actually brought us a long ways. And I have news for you that if God has brought you here, he has no plans to leave you here. There is greater for you, there is more for you because God has more and he is inexhaustible. The grace of God doesn't make sense, but it's designed to make faith. I just know that no one's ever loved me like Jesus has. Last thing I'll share with you in the text that we read in 2 Kings 2, verse 22, it said, and the water has remained pure since, just as Elisha had said. Notice those words, pure ever since. Under the old covenant, when they constantly missed the mark, there was this need to continually make sacrifices to atone for their sins. You can read about the explanation of this in the New Testament, I'd encourage you to go read uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Such a good, a good description and, and understanding of this process. But under grace, the sacrifice was made once so that we might all live forever. Not waiting for Jesus to get back on the cross to finish some things that he left unfinished. He made a very, very bold statement it is finished. It's finished for you. Your sins have been forgiven ever since that moment. You've had God's provision available to you ever since that moment. And God has been happy with you ever since that moment. Grace doesn't make sense, but it was the perfect plan of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.